All right, welcome back to another episode of the Magnus and Marcus podcast. I'm here with John Marcus as always. John, how are you doing, man? I'm doing great. Cannot complain. Leaves are all gone off the trees. It's raining cats and dogs in the northwest, so that means it's uh, end of cross-country season and time to get ready for track season. <laughs> it's always a good thing, man. Yeah, it's, uh, we yeah. just finished up with national, so it's nice when... Uh, you're in that transition phase. So um, today we decided to talk about an interesting thing, I think, called ownership and accountability. Do you want to start off with explaining what that is a little bit? Yeah, I mean, offline, Steve and I were talking a little bit about, you know, uh, the role between coaching and also to the athlete, uh, or I guess, coach-athlete role. So, you know, in a lot of ways, it's like we talk a lot about training recipes and stressing different energy systems and, like, these kind of physiological X's and O's. But yet, at the end of the day, you know, if you don't have the correct culture, if you don't have a culture of ownership, a culture of accountability um, set in place with the, you know, teams or individuals you work with, then it doesn't matter how fancy you're getting with your training. You know, on that day when it's time to perform, nothing's really going to, you know, shake out the way you want it to shake out because at the end of the day, racing is a very competitive situation. And, you know, we need to remember that we're training to race, not training to train, which I think sometimes we get lost in the um, information overload about so much good training methodologies or philosophies that it's like, oh, we got to do all these training things to train right. But it's like the best training is what infuses someone to really race um, to their full capability and at a high level on that specific important race day. And I think we, we need to come back to that and speak more about how it's not necessarily completely on the coach to own all that, but there's a lot more ownership on the athlete and how coaches, how we can infuse athletes with that ownership on those um, opportunities. Yeah, I mean, I, I think... <laughs> I think it's interesting, and maybe we can talk about this a little bit, is that you tend to see ownership shift um, as you develop as an athlete or even as a coach, you know, and I I hate to use the word blame, but it's almost like you, you sense the, you see ownership pop up most often after good or bad races. So a lot of times you have, after good races, athletes will will take all all ownership for it think that it's uh it's totally them and then after bad bad races a lot of times at the younger level you see them um blame others like or blame external factors and i think one of the things that people don't realize is like how you frame that matters a lot and um you know in one of my my books i've been reading late lately um nonsense which is a book on like uncertainty and uh ambiguous this in uh in life and how it how it benefits but they had this cool study where um a bunch of researchers were looking at how solving um solving a very difficult problem um and then deciding why they couldn't figure it out because 80 85 percent of them couldn't figure it out and seeing who blamed themselves who blamed external factors uh and then having them come back a week later and solve a similar similarly different difficult problem um and see and what they did was they saw what impact like the person's blame had on their next results and it was really interesting because the the individuals who blamed themselves 
actually had a 40% chance of getting the next problem right a week later. And the individual who blamed others only had a 15% chance. And the reasoning was pretty interesting because it's, they said that people who took ownership in it and realized their own mistakes learned, learned how to correct their way of thinking and learned how to correct like their, their mental map of what they did. And the people who blamed external factors, like they just chalked it up to like, oh, it was because of this and never learned from their mistakes. So it didn't stick. So they weren't able to learn from it and correct it later on. Yeah, that makes perfect sense when you think about it and all. Um, and having coached as many different individuals and teams as I've coached and you've coached as well, it's, you know, the coach's job is a lot of things, but I, more and more I, I, you know, age and longer and longer I've coached, you know, really the coach's number one job in my mind is to influence their athlete or athletes to take 100% ownership of their training and their racing and their competing. Um, you know, and that that's not the sexiest thing to say. That's not really like, you know, oh, hey, you know, the coach's job is to know all the different training philosophies or ways to, you know, stimulate different energy systems in a certain order of operations, X and those. But if, if you as a coach do not infuse that team or that athlete with ownership about what they're doing, you're ultimately doing yourself and that athlete a huge disservice because then it doesn't matter, you know, what type of, oh, training was perfect. We literally built up miles and then, you know, and volume and then we peaked and then volume came down and tensed went up. You should be ready to go. Oh, you're going to do great. You're going to do great. You're going to do great. If the athlete, the, you know, is not self-driven or self-motivated to do great, to say, hey, I need to get this done on the day, and you haven't mentally and emotionally prepared them for that, again, it does not matter what training you're doing or not doing. It's all going to, you know, just be the pot. So I think that, to me, is what I talk about culture a lot. I talk about culture of ownership and culture accountability. And really, sometimes the coach's job there is to give their athletes a good old ass kicking. And that's, I mean, <laughs> Steve and I were talking about this earlier. When we were younger coaches, we were real nice and just, I think we just innocently assumed everyone wanted to be the best they can be which is not necessarily the case, you know, especially when like pre real pressure situations arise at a championship race or or a qualification race or what have you. And you just need to remember, it's like how you frame that culture within your athlete or team is going to reflect in the most pressure filled situation, whether that's the championship race or a big invite or what have you. And, you know, I've, I've changed my verbiage to, talking about goal setting with athletes to talking about minimum performance expectations. So we don't, I don't set goals anymore. Like, oh, what's your goal? For this season? Like, no, what's your minimum performance expectation for this season? What's my minimum performance expectation for this season? Because we have to remember we are training to race. You know, I, I, was, I just listened to a podcast from Gambetta, our friend, you know, and uh, guest on this pod a couple episodes ago did and, you know, it was a good reminder that that's what training is, training to compete, training to race, not training to train to get all the training elements in. Oh, I got all the elements in in a training cycle. Okay, I'm going to be good. I'm going to be fit. And, like, I've, in my own coaching practice, you know, I've gotten rid of athletes who train just to train because, you know, that's not the business I'm in. I'm training competitors. I'm training people to sack up and be accountable on the day and get after it on the day because, 
why, I mean, that's what we're all, you know, gearing up towards, and especially a championship race. Like, the great thing about a championship race is everyone's bringing their very best. There's no excuses. Like, an invitational, people are like, oh, I'm going to tempo this race or get through that, or it's not really the important race. Oh, da, 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 da. Okay, great. You can have all those excuses leading up to the championship race. The championship race, there's no excuse. It's the pinnacle. It's the thing everyone's been gearing up towards, whether it's a conference, state, national championship, world championship, whatever. There's no excuses. Like <laughs> so, <laughs> But yet we see that so many times, you know, with athletes. And I'm always nice, and I tell my athletes, look, when you guys do well, it's 100% you know, on you to own it. And when you guys don't do well, I'll, since I'm the leader, I'll take 100% ownership of it that I didn't prepare you well enough to do well. But at the same time, too, if you really are going to do well down the road, you're going to take 100% of the ownership of why you didn't do well either. And I think those athletes who understand that, you know, you know, via a study you, you know, um, documented here, Steve, those are the ones who end up being the competitors, the people that you are like, okay, this one's ready to race and going to do well in the race. And the other athlete is going to be the one who is the great workout or time trial athlete who, oh, I can hit the mark when the pressure's not on, but now I have to compete and own it. Oh, you know, you can't really depend on them to come through. And that's ultimately what we're trying to infuse in athletics. And what athletics teaches in my mind is dependability. Like, hey, rent's due on the first of the month. Oh, you lost your job two weeks ago? That sucks. Your landlord says, "Hey, rent's still due on the first of the month. You better figure it out. Like, if you don't pay rent, you're not, you know, you're not living here anymore. Sorry, I don't care. You lost your job. You know that. That's what the greatest scope of athletics is trying to teach is how to be dependable like that. Yeah, I, I think that's a lost skill almost. I mean, I think in the the current culture of track, especially in the U.S., is is people expect to be ready for so few races that it, it creates this mindset of like, oh, it doesn't matter until, you know, A, B, B or C, or all I have to do is like go to this time trial race, hang on and just sit around and, and get dragged out. And yeah, it's going to be hard, but I don't actually have to think about it. Right. Um, so it's almost this cultural thing too. And I think, I think if you look at it, you know, from a coaching standpoint, one of the things that I've seen is that people almost get content when they've done everything that they need to do. Right. So mm -hmm. when you're, when you're, you have those kids who are great in practice or have put in all the work and do everything and, you know, do ABC that that's supposed to get them ready and all the extra stuff. And then they get to race day and they're like, well, you know, I've, I've done everything. So my job's almost done, you know, and they, it, that competitive side doesn't come out because they've almost like satisfied themselves. They've almost like hit that point of closure where they're like, Oh, like, well, I put in the work, so I'm good. And I think sometimes when you, you know, I, and I think yeah. when people, people do that, then they have that, that bomb at, at the championship race or they're not, they're not engaged because it's, it's almost like they've checked off their goal. Like, yeah, oh, exactly. I, I did it all. Yeah, it's, I call it checkoff syndrome. Like, oh, I've I've done all the training tasks that I needed to do, and now I'm entitled to a good result because I've done all the you know preemptive work that was assigned me, and I I was I, I completed every task that was assigned me, and that's the difference. Like, through going through the motions, say from a learning standpoint, versus critically thinking and being able to think outside your box or be able to be really ready to like nail the test, so to speak, and. It's this entitlement that just because I worked hard and I worked hard every day, now I'm naturally easily going to be able to get this result in this race. And, like, 
I remind people all the time, athletes that coach, everyone's working hard. Everybody <laughs> is working hard. That's the culture of distance running is we're supposed to be the toughest, hardest working people in the all of track and field. Like everyone's doing weights, everyone's doing strides, everyone's doing long runs, tempo runs, VO2 max workouts, you know, acceleration development. That all this stuff is everyone's doing it. Now, how do you differentiate yourself on race day versus the other person on race days? Because you you understand that you have to go earn that. You have to go earn your race result, and you do. You 100% in my mind, you earn your race result, not with everything you did leading up to the race. All you're trying to do. Like all fitness is, right? Fitness is essentially getting you to be resilient and resistant to a certain stimulus, to be fit enough to be able to do a 14-mile long run or be able to do a five-mile tempo run and be able to have that not injure you and blow you up and create such, you know, inflammation that you can't walk. That's what fitness is, to be able to be physically ready for the task at hand. Racing and earning it is about getting out there and being mentally and emotionally so sharp and knowing that you have to make it happen. And if you don't make it happen, no one else is going to make it happen for you. And I think there's this misconception of entitlement that good training means it's just going to magically happen for you. <laughs> and it's, it's not. I mean, I'm all for, you know, putting all your chips in one basket. Like, okay, hey, this championship race is the most important race, whether it's NCAA, you know, cross-country championship meet or – the Olympic trials or Olympics and not racing a lot as per like say Jerry Schumacher. But the thing that everyone needs to know about Jerry Schumacher and his training philosophy is like those practices are intense. I've seen him kick Shalane Flanagan out of practices. You know, Chris Zelensky, I've seen him just say, Hey, you're not bringing your A game today. Get the F out and like piss those athletes off because if they're not going to race a lot and get race hardened, so to speak, then that means they need to get, you know, race hardened or in practice and really bring their A game mentally and emotionally and physically. And if they don't do it, then you're all of a sudden losing the value out of that session. So I think people criticize Jerry sometimes a lot for not his athletes not racing a lot. But when they do race, they're so sharp and hardened that they get it done at that championship because it does take a lot of emotional, mental, and physical prep to be able to perform at a high level at championships. So, you know, the erroneous kind of trickle down of that is people like oh we're just going to tempo invites or we're going to tempo this and we're not really going to try and then we're not going to try we're not going to try okay now we're going to really try and then people <laughs> coaches scratch their head like well you infuse the culture throughout the season not trying when you put on a singlet and then all of a sudden you're going to make this mental shift to try at the championship races or the qualification races and then it doesn't happen like no no it doesn't happen no that's that that's you know it's an incomplete execution of that like those practices and i've seen them firsthand are really intense you know not i mean not just from what's assigned to get done in the workout but also how they you know approach that mentally and emotionally with each other so however you prepare for the race great but remember you're preparing to compete never <laughs> yeah, be of that prepare to compete. I, I think that's a brilliant point because i think I think what happens a lot of times is, especially in college, is you see athletes get in this mindset of, oh, I'm on a tempo or this is just a workout. And what happens then is it gives people an out, right? And when they always have an out, what you have to realize is is what you're ingraining. Like you're ingraining this idea that it's okay not to not to kill it. It's okay not to go to the well when I need to. And we're we're human beings and we're not 
not robots, where we can just, like, flip that switch, right? We can't just be like, okay, like, now it matters. Like, flip that switch. Now I need to go into overdrive. Like, it doesn't it doesn't work that way. And I think that's a brilliant point where either you need to get that through races or if you don't get it through races, you better have something in training that sets you up to harden it for for you. Um, because I think that's one thing that the coaches and athletes forget is like, it's not just like the physical, um, to, to push and care when you don't, you know, you don't want to. I mean, for instance, I'll give you an example from this weekend. Like my, my college athlete ended up 60th at NCAAs. Um, it was a solid effort for him. We thought he'd be right around All-American. Um, he was 10 seconds off. But, you know, the race went out. I think the leaders went out in 429, and he went out in 434, 435, and was in a good spot. And throughout the entire race, he was 40th to, I think, 80th and and ended up right in the middle in 60th. But the point was, like, you know, a KN, he was like, holy crap, this is fast. Like, this hurts you know and uh and um instead of like just buckling and being like okay this sucks i'm hurting a k in i've got nine more k to go like he just put his head down and was like i'm just gonna try and grind and as long as i can and whatever happens happens and i think like that mentality of of you know this is a championship race i should feel a hun- i should feel like poppy off the ground and feel amazing like doing this like nine times out of ten you don't get that race day and i think what i think what happens sometimes is like people check out they're just like oh it's not my day like i feel bad i'm gonna i'm gonna settle and what what you see in good athletes is it's like even if it's not their day they're just like put my head down like the goal is to race. Like, it doesn't matter. I'm just going to go grind. Right. And I think, you know, this is a topic I get fired up about because I think runner's world and these mass media, like, you know, outlets who are trying to promote running as a consumer product and all these coaches out there who are, you know, promoting running and training as a consumer product. and like, oh, you're just supposed to feel good all the time. Hey, train less, run faster, eat more, run faster, feel good, run faster. Like, no, like, no, 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 it does not happen. I remind athletes I work with, like, you can race well on tired and shitty feeling legs. Exactly. Like, if the stars align, nine, you know, one time out of 10, 10% of your races, you'll feel amazing, but you have to be ready to rock it 90% of the other time when you don't feel that awesome, when you feel capable, but it's tough. And I mean, if I knew exactly, if Steve knew exactly how to make every athlete feel amazing on race day, you know, or any other coach, we'd be making millions because we just, you know, would trademark, patent it, the secret, and then sell the secret. But the fact is, it's, it's the human condition. You know, we are imperfected human beings where a lot of environmental influences take a toll on us. So you might be physiologically perfectly prepared, but what if your grandmother just went to the hospital and might be her last couple of days on earth and you have this you know, big championship race, and but you're emotionally wrecked because of it. You know, that's a very real reality. You get in a fight with your girlfriend. You know, all these different, you know, outside influences can derail you, and it's about how resilient 
or, you know, going back to one of our favorite teams, how anti-fragile are you to face that unexpectedness come that, you know, supposedly perfect day that you've been training for and then meet it headlong and know, I got to go on, I got to earn this. I got to go get done. I got to go pay rent. I got to go make this happen. You know, and like, guess what? If you don't put forth the effort to earn it, you're not, no one's going to hand it to you. Like, people want your spot. Like, I have to remind people that I'm working with who are like, oh, well, the goal is to make the Olympic team. I go, you guys know how hard that is? Like, <laughs> Olympic year? Like, you're talking about people's livelihoods, fifty to $100,000 of individual people's, you know, wealth or, you know, salary or potential salary or wealth is on the line. Like, you don't think they're going to do everything in their power. Like, yeah, they're going to push you in the race. Yeah, they're going to, you know, you know, do all this. You're going to die with the starting line. Like, they're going to do everything in their power to make this team because if you make that team in front of them, well, guess what? You get the 50 grand and they get zero. Like, <laughs> you know, so don't come to me and say, oh, I want to make an Olympic team. That'd be great. Hashtag road to Rio. It's like, if you put your, like, Seriously, if you're putting in your Twitter feed or anything or, you know, a hashtag in Road to Rio, you're not going to Rio. Period. It's not happening. You're not making the Olympic team. I'm just being harsh and real because the people who are are waking up and going to bed every day, getting the work, and know they have to fully earn it, and they're just making themselves resilient enough that they can earn it in any situation versus if it's a slow, tactical, and sitting kick race, surges, hard from the gun. Like these coaches and these athletes – they know this, and that you wonder why the same coaches have championship caliber athletes. Like, you know, Wetmore is a really good example in the collegiate setting. I mean, men and women one and two or two second place yesterday. Like both teams, you know, national runners up, but they're always in that conversation. They're always there. You know, it's not like you know uh, where you see like say like uh, New Mexico or Syracuse men like or women just come up out of the blue, or Michigan State last year, women come up out of the blue, and then non-factors. It's like those those programs are always in the conversation. They help build those athletes with a certain degree of resiliency and ownership and accountability than, say, other programs where it's like a flash in the pan. And, I mean, granted, it's really, really hard, don't get me wrong, to win a national title as a team across the country, really hard. So all respect to any coach that's ever done that and been in that position. But a lot more respect to those programs and coaches who have had consistent shots, you know, year in and year out. That is the mark of a, you know, a master and a craftsman. And that's really hard, really hard yeah. to do. <laughs> yeah. So. You know, it's a funny thing is that I bet if you, <laughs> if you looked at those teams and those programs, like it's, it's just the expectation. Like that's what it is. Like it's mm-hmm. year in, year out, we're going to compete at this level. And that's ingrained in them. Um, to a degree, and that's why they almost always show up. I mean, it's even yesterday. Right. Like, like Colorado on the men's side, they showed up. Like, they had, you know, five All Americans or whatever it was, and um, or four, whatever it was. Um, they showed up. So it's it's not like any of them blew up or anything like that. Like they expected to compete, and they compete. They competed well. I think. I think if you look at a successful athletes, it's not just the talent or the physiology that does it, but it's that it's that expectation that, you know, no matter what, I'm going to run well or no matter what, I'm going to put myself in position to run well. You know, one of the things I always preach to my athletes is like, no matter, no matter what in a race, you should be able to put yourself in position to run well. Like, you should be able to put yourself in position to succeed, even if it's not your day. Like, 
you should still, if you're you're running a 1500 and it's not your day, you should still be there at 1200, right? Yeah. Like the deciding factor on whether it's, you know, one of those great days or, or one of those bad days normally comes in the last, you know, 25% of the race. <laughs> but like every race, you should have an idea of putting yourself in position to succeed. And then you let the chips fall where they may and, and push until you can't and see where, see what happens. But I think, I think what happens a lot of times is people who don't have that resiliency built in is they, they do this checkout thing where it's like, you know, it always bugs me when you have athletes who, you know, 400 into a mile or, you know, a mile into, into the 5k are already, you know, checking off their pace or checking off the back. And it's like, it's like, even if you were dying, you could still run this pace. No, no problem. Right. It's a, it's a third of the way through or a fourth of the way through the race. Like you should be engaged. Even if you feel horrible right now, you, you can, you can force your way to be engaged at that point. But what you see is mentally, they just kind of check out before giving themselves a shot because they've, they've signed off essentially. Yeah, and that, to me, is the biggest red flag, you know, and really what coaching is about is getting people to, you know, have a certain minimum performance expectation. A certain expectation is just like, you know, you're a part of this program or you're an athlete that coach, like, you're going to do this, period, or else. I mean, you know, there or there's consequences for it. Like, a good good example was the junior college team that I work with, like the men's team, we had a very talented, capable group of guys, like very, very talented. And they were, you know, talented as any other team and maybe a little bit more from uh, what guys have done in the past individually type perspective and should have competed, you know, for one of the top two spots in like the Northwest Junior College Championships. Well, you know, they, they ran off and they got fourth and almost got fifth because no one stepped up and no one, you know, one or two guys stepped up, but then, people that we were relying on to be our, you know, number two, number three, man, like completely just were non-factors, like way out the back, like wasn't even engaged. And, you know, it, it's frustrating because it's like, well, we worked hard. We did all these things. They were well coached. They, you know, but ultimately they weren't well coached. Like that's on me to figure out, well, what didn't I do? Did I not hold them accountable enough? Did I not, you know, surmise what the expectation level was enough? I mean, we talked about that time and time again. So finally what I did, we got a team meeting, um, you know, the other day and I kicked everyone off the team and said, Hey guys, you're all kicked off the team. Here's how you get back on the team. You have to have a minimum GPA at this standard, and we're going to have a time trial of 600 for the middle distance people, a 3K for the distance people, and you got to hit this. So you have to have this GPA and hit this time trial, and you're back on the team. But right now you're all off the team. I'm kicking everybody off because, you know, it just was un- – I have to set the tone that that type of performance was unacceptable. And obviously, like, you don't get to just be on the team just because you're here and you show up to practice every day and you go through the motions. Like, being on the team, there's a certain prestige and ownership of prestige, but you got to pay rent. You know, you got to bring food to the table. If you don't do that, you don't need to be here. Like, I'd rather coach two guys who, you know, and make me recruit a couple other guys who actually want to do it at the level that we we're asking people to do it at than have a group of 15 guys who are just you know, very entitled and going through the motions. And, you know, that surprised people and make them take a step back. But the thing is, it's like referring to um, your environment that Steve touched on earlier. There's a good book, uh, was it Connected? And it's, I think it's by like a Harvard professor and a, um, you know, Cal, University of Cal professor. And it, it talks about 
in the book Connected how who you surround yourself are mirrors. So like if you have a friend who becomes obese or, or is obese, then you have like a 50% chance higher likelihood to be obese because the fact you're hanging out with that person and their habits are then, you know, thus to becoming obese, not exercising, overindulging, consumption, da 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 that means that's a signal, that's a cue that, hey, this is okay because I'm allowing myself to be in this environment. So, you know, versus if, like, say, a Colorado-type program or a Stanford for the men or women, you know, those coaches, those guys have a minimum expectation about, no, this is the expectation that we're going to compete for national titles, and you all have to earn that. You know, that completely changes the scope about what is and what is not acceptable. So, I mean, the book Connect is really great because it just it shows you how your social networks and who you surround yourself with in that environment you create or allow really does influence dramatically, you know, what, you know, what, what you will become. It's the same thing with all the post-collegiate athletes I work with. Like I tell them like, look, if you're trying to train at a high level or, you know, win these road races or pee on the track, you know, at this level, it's like stopping out with like normal average people who go out to happy hour, you know, (laughs) Thursday, Friday, Saturday night. I'm like, those aren't your kin. Like, they're going to distract you from this. Or maybe you're really signaling that you don't want to do it like this. Like, go hang out with other distance runners. Go hang out with other people, you know, even other, like, athletic people who are in bed at 8 o'clock or, you know, who have the habits ingrained to create a lifestyle that's going to prepare you to accomplish what you want to accomplish you know, on your big day, whether that's some competition, some game, some race. So, yeah, yeah, those are brilliant points. I haven't read Connect, but it's definitely going to check it out. You know, it, it almost it ties in nicely with one of the favorite pieces of research I like to tell my team, which I'm sure they get sick of. But there is this cool study about like the least fit individual matters the most. So, um. I think I've talked about it before, but like this Air Force Academy study, they tracked like fitness in their squadrons and saw like what what impacted people, what made them uh, fitter through their four years of of, of testing because they did the PT test every year. Um, and what happened was the the least fit individual in each squadron squadron mattered the most. Meaning, mm-hmm. if the least fit person was extremely dedicated and rose in fitness, the entire group's fitness increased. If the least fit person didn't care and just kind of slacked off and saw their fitness decrease across the years, the entire squadron decreased, even the studs in it just fell back Mm -hmm. to normal because it's contagious. You know, there's been tons of work on what we call motivation contagion, meaning that just like you mentioned in the connection book, like all these patterns, whether it's obesity, whether it's smoking, whether it's it's having children even at early ages, like they all spread just like diseases do. Like that's what research has found is that behaviors spread just like anything else. And when you think about that in, in the world of team sports or coaching or anything like that, it's incredibly important. You know, I forget who who said it and I, someone smart probably. But there's this nice quote where they said, you know, you are the sum of the five people you surround yourself with the most. Mm-hmm. And it, it's true because, like, we, those behaviors that your friends do, like, they become your norms. If you hang out with people who stay up till midnight, like, you're going to shift your bedtime. If you yeah. hang out with people who 
you know, go out to drinks all the time. Like you're going to start drinking more. Like it's what happens. So the easiest way to control that is to control the people you hang out with. Right. And if you want it, like if you want to do big, great things, then you better surround yourself with people who are trying to do the same. It doesn't matter if it's, you know, your field, it could be running, it could be art, it could be, you know, some intellectual field, but people who share the same kind of principles, if you surround yourself with them, then your game's going to be risen versus if you surround people, surround yourself with people who are content to reach a certain uh, certain level and be okay with that, then you're going to be drawn backwards and regress to that mean. So I think that's a brilliant point. Yeah, it's the reason I married an athlete. I married a runner. I mean, <laughs> the the girlfriend I had before my wife, she was a, a actress, model, you know, in the entertainment business. And I was still young at the time and still running and, you know, trying to train at and to be as competitive a runner as I had hopes of ever becoming. And, you know, church is a Sunday long run, getting up, running 18, 20 miles, like every Sunday, like that's just what you do as a distance runner. That's just, you know, par and par, you know, parcel for the course. So I get up and go run and she, you know, sat down with me one day. She's like, why don't you want to spend time with me on Sunday morning? I can go out to brunch or go for a walk or, you know, why are you always like, you know, re- you know, retreating? Like, do you not like me? Do you not want to be with me? Like, it's like, no, no, no. Like, Sunday is just Sunday long run. That's all it is. Like, that's my world. And I, as soon as she said that, I said, oh, we're done. Like, mm, like this is not going to work. You know, and then, I find, then I found a gal who's a runner, and, you know, and now I, I coach my wife. But it's like Sunday we go for a long run. That's what we do. We wake up, we get coffee, some breakfast, and then we either just me and her go for a long run or, we'll, you know, text, mass text with friends or the club team that I coach now and figure out who's meeting for one to go for the long run. But I mean, that, that demonstrates that very, very poignantly in my own life. Like I just, I, I, you know, I'm not in the entertainment industry. I'm not, you know, it's not what I do going out to movie premieres or care about that stuff. So, you know, I'm out. <laughs> that, 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 that about sums up my failures in my own dating life. Is, uh, there you go. <laughs> what you, you don't want, you don't mean you want to go to bed at 10 o'clock so that we can get up at six and run 17 miles. That's yeah. not fun. Like what? Yeah, what? So, <laughs> so yeah. If you take anything from this podcast, single people out there, date. <laughs> if you're an athlete or disorder, date other athletes or disorder because they get it. You know, unless you have to find that special person who's an artist or something who gets it as well and lets you do your art. But yeah, I mean, you got to surround yourself with people who get it. And it's tough because it's like I will always look for the competitive athlete when I'm recruiting somebody versus the talented fast time athlete who hasn't really like when I'm, you know, in my college coaching lens, I'll look for state champions. I don't care what level of state champion you are, big school, small school, whatever. If you've won a championship, then you know how to win championships. You That's, that's your frame of reference versus taking that guy from the big school or girl from the big school division who was always sixth or seventh, but, oh, man, she'd run a fast time. Man, she's ran fast. We can coach her up to, you know, she can run that fast or he can run that fast. We can coach him up to win. Like, no, no, you can't. You can coach them up to win to run faster, you know, more likely than you can coach someone who's never won but ran fast to win. Like, you know, winners win, and they know how to win. And that's, I think, the hardest task of any coach is holding people accountable to what that, you know, minimum standard of excellence is. 
and why you, you know, Steve said, you got to worry, like in cross, you got to worry about the fifth, sixth, seventh man or woman. Like those are the make or break of a cross country team for all the reasons Steve explained, as we know as cross country coaches, because if they're not pulling their weight, it makes it easier for everyone in front of them not to pull their weight as much too. But if they see that fifth man or woman, like in six man woman, busting butt, dying on, you know, on a sword to beat that other team's fourth runner, to beat that other team's five runner, like that's that's a huge signaling to the rest of the uh, the team. And so, you know, you wonder why, like, old, you know, not to bag on any program, but let's say, you know, Mississippi, like men's Mississippi team, you know, they have a huge collection of talent this year. And by some people pick to be top five, a podium level team, right? I don't know all the inner workings that's going on there, but you can see that just because you have this talented group of PRs assimilated together, does not guarantee you the fact that you're going to be highly competitive as a unit in cross country. Now, though, you know, they have a great coach and he's smart and he's going to do a lot of good things to rectify, you know, and make that culture better. I have no doubt. And you'll see them kick ass in track because they're all talented individuals on the track. But how, you know, just because you have all these fast track PRs on the same team for cross does not necessarily mean you're going to have this bang out cross country team. And that's what makes cross, in my opinion, one of the hardest sports to coach in hard sports to, you know, compete in is because, like I was telling Steve earlier, there's nowhere to hide. Like, everyone's in the same race. <laughs> the steeplechasers, the 10K runners, the 5K runners, the 800-meter guys and gals, they're all in the same race. The NCAA meet is probably the second hardest, you know, race in the world after the World Cross Country meet, you know, because everyone is there. You can't hide. I mean, and that 10-second difference is the difference between All-American and just being another guy in the pack. You know, it, it's so demanding and that's what you know why cross is a value to every single you know track runner because it gets you competitively callous in a way that maybe your primary track event doesn't and it's just it's good medicine even if you get your ass slapped it's good medicine (laughs) yeah exactly no it is i mean and that's why that's why my half milers run cross right because it's good medicine like it's good to learn how to deal with failure, learn how to push yourself and be on your comfort zone, learn how to um, have, you know, four, five, six, seven other guys relying on you. Um, and it's not just you on the track, right? And I think that's that's probably the biggest thing is, mm-hmm. you know, it's that team component. It's having other people rely on you. It's, it's you know, your track PRs don't mean shit. I mean, yeah, it's true. you 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 yeah. line up and you you might be a you know a thirteen thirty guy, but some guy who's run fourteen ten is is running lights out and he's going to be right with you or or beat you and you're sitting there like uh, I have forty seconds on this guy on the track, but on the cross country course he's he's there with you, so mm-hmm. that's that's part of the beauty of it. Yeah, and it it just promotes blunt honesty, and I yep. you know, and I I. No, again, the more I coach, the more blunt and honest I am with athletes. It's like, you know, we had a, a regional race yesterday for, like, the club team and post-collegiate team that I coach. You know, and they just got nipped by Club Northwest, which good club, good coach, good athletes. But, like, the, and we're talking the women here that I work with. But, you know, really, they shouldn't have done that. It shouldn't have happened. But it's because our, you know, third runner, like, who's a miler, she's she's not, like, the best cross runner in the world at, you know, or post-collegiately. But like we're trying to go down to club nationals as a, a unit and be competitive down there and be in the top three. And, you know, she just had a off par race by like 
you know, several spots. And there, since there's only like really two teams essentially a dual meet, you get, you know, you fall back a couple spots. Like that's the race right there. And afterwards, she was like, oh, I feel like, I feel like that's not winning was my fault. Well, yeah, it was. Like you better fix that. <laughs> like you better fix. Yes, it was your fault. Like everyone else delivered and you didn't. And we only had five. And yeah, you need to fix that. Now she's used to that blunt transparency, but was a little taken back just by like my quick, you know, affirmation. That, you know that she was right. It was her fault. But that's that's the thing. If you can't take that kind of accountability, getting back to the original theme and ownership about your racing and how it impacts others, whether it's in the team setting on cross or an individual and cultural setting for the greater scope of the team or coach-athlete relationship in the track, then you really, really need to think why you're in the sport. Because, I, I mean, the people who know how to get it done will continue to get it done. And the people who never figure it out will always have a reason to blame someone else or blame external conditions, the weather, the travel situation, da 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 da, da, da and on and on and on and on about why they couldn't get it done. At the end of the day, either you get it done or you don't. Yeah. You know, if I can impart one final summation of this podcast, that's it. You know, and the, the better, the more you as a coach can infuse your athletes with that type of ownership, you get it done or you don't, no no blame, only ownership, the better your team is going to be. Exactly. No, that's a great way to end this because it's it's true, man. It's, it's you know, whether you're a coach or whether you're an athlete, you like you have to be accountable to yourself. You have to be accountable to your teammates. You have to take ownership of, of whether the performance is good or bad. Like I think part of today's society is we like to we like to not have anything be our fault because it's it's confrontational, right? It's mm-hmm. much e- it's much easier to be like, ah, you know, it was the weather or it was just not my day or whatever. But when you do that all you're giving yourself is is this false sense of closure where you don't fix the problem. Right. Right. Yep. The no, number one thing is you've got to take ownership. You've got to be able to fix what it is. If you just blow it off and blame it on external factors, then, you know, the problem doesn't get fixed. So right. uh, I, th- I think that's about it. So we're, uh, yeah, we're past our, our rough time limit. So, uh, yeah. Awesome, awesome stuff as always, John. Hopefully, you guys uh, enjoy this uh, podcast. And uh, thanks for everybody who's been stopping us at meets and uh, saying you've been enjoying it. It's a uh, it's a cool feeling walking around and hearing people actually listening to it. So <laughs> yeah, we do appreciate it. Yeah, we'll, we'll try to bring you more regular content now that uh, cross country season is it, over with. So. It, and you know what? You're going to be in town in a couple weeks, so we can uh, we can just sit around for, you know, five or That's six true. hours and then uh, just just record long conversations. So hopefully... <laughs> yeah, that, that is true, yes, yes. That's true. <laughs> yeah. that, that can help us during the uh, spring outdoor season when it, we're going a million, million meets a week, you know. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly, exactly. Well, cool stuff. Well, thanks as always, guys. Thanks for listening. Yeah, thank you.